You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Seth Greenberg is very much at home with whatever role in basketball that comes his way. He was a four-year letter winner at Fairleigh Dickinson University who later went into coaching immediately upon graduating. After being an assistant coach for 12 years, the first nine in the eastern part of the country, he took over the head coaching position at Long Beach State in California in 1990. He stayed at Long Beach for six years before taking the head coaching position at South Florida for seven years and then at Virginia Tech for nine years. After being blindsided by a surprise firing in 2012, he went to work at ESPN, where he is a studio analyst and part of the game day crew every Saturday. So, Coach, welcome to Sports Connections. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, you went immediately from playing to coaching. Did you always have the ambition to be a coach, or did you want to keep playing, or was that decision made for you? Uh, that decision was made for me because I wasn't that good a player. Uh, I played hard, but I wasn't that good a player. I always wanted – I grew up in a five-star basketball camp uh, program and, uh, you know, listening to the UB Browns and Chuck Daly's and Rick Pitino's, uh, uh, all those great coaches. And uh, I was kind of mesmerized by Coach Brown and uh, going through the pro- recruiting process a little bit. I know I didn't want to leave the game of basketball. And uh, I was very, very fortunate because of the relationships I built at Five Star, because of the relationships my college coach Alabama had, because of the investments that I made in the summer. I got an opportunity to be the, uh, the assistant coach at Columbia University uh, the day I graduated actually college. So I was very, very fortunate. And uh, that was the beginning of my college coaching career. Did, did you plan for it to be a, a career? I know you're, you're just a little older than I am. You're in your mid sixties now. So this it's been more than 40 years since that you've been a coach or that you were involved in coaching at a certain extent. Did you, that was that your goal or did it just kind of happen? No, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I fell into broadcasting. I always wanted to coach. I mean, uh, probably since I was 13, 14 years old. My dad played for the great Claire B at Long Island University. Okay. He used to come and visit us, uh, the impact that he had on my dad and uh, the impact coaches had in my life. But it's uh, it was something that, you know, my brother's coaches over all over the world in Europe. He was the general manager of Philadelphia in 76, as vice president of Detroit Portland Trailblazers. So my brother and I, that uh, we kind of, uh, this is who we were and this is what we wanted to do. And we were so fortunate and blessed to, get a chance to chase our dreams. Yeah. All right. I got a two part question for you and you'll be able to figure out what the second part is when I ask you the first part, what's the best part of being a college basketball coach? Having an opportunity to impact someone's life uh, the way my white life was impacted. I mean, you know, I don't take for granted the responsibility that you have when you, uh, end up in, in the position I had of, of recruiting someone and having a parent entrust their sons, you know, four very important years uh, to you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, their relationships and, uh, and building those relationships and uh, impacting someone's life, helping someone get somewhere they couldn't get themselves, ha- having the opportunity to build a bridge for someone across to, you know, be as successful in life, uh, you know, a, a good husband, a good a good father uh, and someone who's positive part of society. So, I mean, that's the best part. The relationships you have your players after the fact, uh, probably the most rewarding. It's interesting, coach. And I've talked, I've been around sports basically my whole life. My uncles who just recently retired from being major league baseball agents were always involved in sports. And so I was around it. When I, when I interview coaches and I ask them that question or questions like that, very rarely do I hear, boy, winning that championship or 
competing at that level or winning that rivalry game. It's never about the games. It's never about the results on the court. It's about the relationships that you build. Yeah, that's what it's all about. I mean, like, it's never about money. I didn't even know how much I was getting paid in my first two jobs. Never asked. Yeah. I had, I had no clue. I mean, I didn't get into coaching to, to make money. I, you know, I was fortunate I'd been able to support my family, but I, I got into coaching because I love the game and I wanted to impart my love for the game on someone else and I wanted to impact someone else. And, uh, you know, even before I got go at Virginia Tech, my last contract at Virginia Tech was the first time I ever even mentioned money. I took the Virginia Tech job. I didn't even know how much I was making. Now, you know, if, if it was all bells and whistles, if it was all positive, everybody would want to do it. And I'm sure a lot of people want to do it because all they see is the glitz and the glamour that comes with it. But there's a lot of difficult times. What was the worst part of being a, a college basketball coach? Getting let go when you have three daughters and one daughter's going to be a senior in high school. One daughter's a senior at Virginia Tech and uh, one daughter was in New York at the time. I mean, you know, that, you know, the pressure puts on your family is immense. Uh, people think it is glamorous. It, it's look, I, I didn't get into coaching because it was glamorous. I got into coaching because I love I love the game and, uh, and you know, I got lost in the game. I got lost in everything about the game. Uh, but, uh, you know, getting let go was probably the toughest uh time you know you know here you are you know you're 55 years old and and you're uh it's the only thing you ever did since you're 21 years old and you were playing basketball you know since you were 12 years old Mm -hmm. and now you have a responsibility for family and uh you know that 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 there's a different kind of pressure there so you know letting them down having to pick up and move them across country you know that's probably the toughest time. Yeah, because uh, as I read through your your history, uh, Virginia Tech was the only time you got fired. You left other positions to move up or to take different jobs. What was there other parts of the day to day? I mean, I guess maybe it was the the thought that maybe you would get uh, would lose your job. But was there other parts of the job that you say, "Boy, I wish if it w- if it wasn't for that, I'd really be having fun." <laughs> You know, I, I loved everything about it. I loved the interaction with players. I loved, obviously, game preparation. I loved, I loved competing in the games. Uh, and it really wasn't an aspect of, of coaching. Uh, you know, obviously, each year it became more of a business. Uh, you know, with more money, it becomes more businesslike, uh, where you're being pulled in a lot of different directions. I would say probably the biggest thing is a lot of times you're pulled away from the thing that drew you to coaching in the first place, and that's the kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, and I know you were surprised when you got fired at Virginia Tech. How long did it take you to figure out what you wanted to do next? Did you, I mean, did you have opportunities to go somewhere else and coach? Or did you say, you know, that's I, it? I, I have the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, I got let go late. I got let go past the hiring cycle. So uh, hmm. I had to decide what I wanted to do. And uh, ESPN, I did some work for them during the NCAA tournament. And uh, they're they offered me an opportunity to come here and I figured if I'm going to do it, I might as well move. We moved to Connecticut to have both feet in and kind of get a feel for the culture and, and what it's all about, meet people and develop relationships and, uh, and learn a, you know, a different business. Now they're, you know, you miss coaching every day and I've had opportunities just to my situation at, at, at ESPN has been so good. I have accepted those opportunities. It, it's interesting. A lot, a lot of coaches 
uh, when they lose a job or when they get burned out or whatever, when they leave coaching, they'll go into broadcasting. But you were a broadcast journalism major at FDU, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Uh, but I mean, you know, I learned uh, broadcasting. Yeah, I, look, I had a great situation for Dickinson. But, you know, when you're coaching, you have a radio show and TV show. My, my biggest thing is, you know, I, I'll be talking ball whether I even have this job or not. I mean, it's something yes. I'm passionate about. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a basketball junkie. I'm, if I'm not on TV, I'm on the phone with coaches all over the country talking about their teams and what they can do better or helping them navigate roadblocks and detours that they have during the course of the season. So uh, it's kind of a, you know, it's a way of life for me. So, but I was very fortunate. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't just get a broadcasting job. I mean, I got a broadcasting career and I think there's a big too. And it's interesting. It's you kind of answered my next question was how rewarding was the transition? You really got to do what, it, let's say you were at the age where you said, you know, I'm through with coaching. I don't need to do anything. You're doing exactly what you would have been doing for nothing. And now you're probably getting paid fairly well for it, for doing it on national television. Yeah, look, uh, ESPN has been incredible. I work with incredible people who are really passionate about what they're doing. Everyone around the, your broadcast wants you to have a good broadcast, whether it's the producers, yeah. the, the research people, the camera people. Uh, I work with, you know, LaFonso Ellis or Jay Williams or Jay Billis or Reese Davis. And I work for, you know, Kevin Connors. I work with, you know, really, really good people. Yeah. Um, everyone is pulling in the same direction. There's no one that's kind of on an island by themselves. So uh, I'm fortunate. Uh, you know, it doesn't work this way for everyone, but for me, it's been, it's been good. My, my all-time favorite game day moment. Um, and I think you were part of the crew at the time, but um Duke was playing at Virginia and Virginia was good, but they weren't great yet. And you guys interviewed uh, uh, Tony Bennett and they showed clip and Ralph Sampson was on the set and they, they showed clips of Ralph Sampson basically taking Jay Billis to school. And then they went over to, to coach Bennett on the side and they said, you know, I think Reese asked him how not, how good would it be to have, Ralph Sampson on your squad right now. And, and coach had one of the best lines ever. He goes, I'm not sure if I'd be more excited about that or more excited if Jay was playing on Duke. <laughs> yeah. Dallas is fun to make fun of. Do you guys have that as much fun as it appears? It looks like you guys are just having a blast. It's a bunch of guys sitting around a table talking hoops. Are you having as much fun as it appears? Yeah, it's been really good. I and mean, we have a good group of people. We, you know, our, our, our dinners Friday night are funnier than the show, but we have a good time. We all look through the game through a different prism, obviously. Yeah. Hans looks at it from a, you know, a terrific player and Jay looks at it from the conscious of the NCAA and the student athlete, I guess, welfare rights. And yeah. I just look from a coach, no different than I, I would have looked at it any other time. And we're all passionate about our positions and, uh, but it, it kind of leads to some funny and fun conversation for sure. Yeah, for sure. What, what's the, what's the best part of being a, and, and you really have several roles. You're, you know, you're a, a pregame host in, you know, on game day, but you're also studio, um, you know, studio analyst for pregame halftime post game as they transition to another game. So you've got a lot of different roles, but they're all basically in that same, same genre of, talking from the coach's perspective about basketball. What's the best part of your job? 
Just the people I work with. I mean, and I got a chance to get the best seat in the house for most most of the best games. And, uh, you know, I get a chance. I get paid for talking ball. I mean, it's not a bad gig. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I'm friends with Jay and, and I, you know, he's never, he's never big timed me. You know, I've, I'm, I'm just a local sports writer here in Kansas city and I would call him on a regular basis or text him or email him or something. Hey, what can you tell me about this guy? Never stumped him. He, his, his knowledge is great, but he is just such a, such a nice guy. And he's, and, and sarcastic. I'm, I'm bilingual. I speak English and sarcasm and Jay and I uh, get along well with that, but, he states his opinion like it's a fact. <laughs> true, true. Uh, yeah, uh, that that part I know. I know for a fact. I love reading his column uh, because, um, yeah, he he definitely. You know, if if you want to listen to somebody else, go ahead. But here's the truth: is basically the gist of of his yeah. uh, of his part. Is there a worst part? You know, I ask you about the worst part of coaching. Is there a worst part of being a, a studio analyst? Not yeah yeah, you know missing being in the hunt, not having the competition. Uh, you know when you coach for as long as I did, you, you miss the the fight, whether winning or losing. It sounds funny, but just seeing if you put together a plan and see if it works. Uh, you know I like doing some games because I get a chance to prepare for them, like I would prepare for coaching a game. Right. You know, I really coach both teams in terms of what you're trying to see, what they're trying to do, their identity, who they are, how they win, what they're trying to get done, what. You know, you're trying to take away from another team. Uh, but this, I mean, look, I work with great people. I've got a great platform. I'm doing what I enjoy doing. Uh, you know, I don't take any of that for granted. Uh, you know, some people think it's a rite of passage. You know, it's almost like high school player, college players think it's a rite of passage to get the NBA if you're a good college player. Well, you know, I don't take for granted anything that's been afforded to me. I'm, I, I understand how fortunate I am. Plus, you're undefeated since... 2012 you have not lost a game since yeah. 2012 that's got to make it easier to sleep at night doesn't it i don't sleep anyway uh but uh yeah i mean it's uh you know being undefeated is it for 10 years is pretty good uh you know but you know that's 10 years of lost relationships you know the great thing is all my former players want me to coach but i think they all want a job <laughs> when you're when you're preparing to do to be the the analyst on a game broadcast and you're talking to the, to both coaches, how often do you find that they pick your brain where they, they say, okay, this guy coached for all these years. I can learn something from him. how often when you're trying to interview them to, to learn what they're preparing to do, how often do you find the tables turn where they're trying to ask you for advice? I, I there's about 20 or 30 coaches that out there that I speak to on a weekly basis uh, so, I mean, you know, we'll bounce ideas across. I like to go to practices. That's one of the big things I enjoy doing and watching a team and kind of getting a feel and spending time with coaches after just you know, talking ball and their teams and strengths and weaknesses. And maybe I would look at this way or that way. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, they've, you know, the thing that's been nice for me is when I, when I got into this, you know, I was going to be worried how I was going to be received, not for my friends, but just, right. You know, I, I, you know, let go. Will people, will, will people be a little guarded because they, you know, didn't want to make me feel bad or whatever. But uh, it's, been, it's been a really good experience. And then the people in coaching that I respect that I've spent time with for years and years and years, I still do. And, you know, if a coach asks me an opinion, I'm 
and no different than when I'm on the air. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna say what I think. I'm gonna say, look, I'm not pr- your practice every day. Yeah. And then, but you know, from what the little bit I've seen, this is how I think. Or you know, you're guarding that situation that way. Maybe you might want to think of doing this uh, against this player. Or you know, you're attacking the zone here. You know, maybe you want to get you know multiple playmakers in the middle of that. But you know, I, I try to be very respectful because when you're not in practice every day, and it's one of my pet peeves. It's we have all these gurus that never call timeout. They, you know, they, they're never in practice. They'll, they'll watch a game and then they're trying to tell the coach everything did wrong or who should be playing. And quite mm-hmm. honestly, practice every day. You have no idea what really the essence of that team is and what the coach is really emphasizing. You could be emphasizing something, but maybe one kid light bulb hasn't gone on yet. No. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's not fair. Yeah. Um, you know, when I talked to you uh, last year, when I was working on the book with Joe Lenardi, one of the things I was most impressed with is um, you, you didn't, you didn't put yourself on a pedestal. And what I mean by that is so many coach, so many coaches who, who are successful, so many broadcasters who have the platform that you talked about will say, well, you know, and we joked about Jay doing that. Jay is really a pretty, pretty humble guy. He's, he's putting on an act, but when I asked you about, you know, how much did you rely on bracketology? I'll never forget your answer. You said we were a bubble team. We were perennially a bubble team. I had to pay close attention to that. It would have been really easy to say, well, you know, we got things going pretty well at Virginia Tech where I didn't have to worry about that. Is that, is that one of the things that you've carried over to broadcasting to, to either being a uh, analyst on a game or pre post whatever halftime show where you talk about your your um, I'm not saying this very well. Where where you're talking about what it's really like to be a coach in that situation. That's your goal. I mean, that's your goal. I mean, you lived it for 33 years, 22 as a yeah. coach. And your goal is to bring someone inside. You know, people say inside the ropes or inside the huddle. I mean, you know. So you know, uh, that's kind of what I try to do. You know, kind of the prism I look at the game at is very different than maybe. Someone who's never had to deal with that, you know, doesn't right. know, all right, we're coming up to finals week. All right. You know, if I got three players that are worried about, you know, this specific test, you know, I've got to be concerned how they're going to respond or, you know, so-and-so is, you know, family members had an issue away from, you know, the court. I got to, you know, I got to worry about, you know, where is he emotionally or, you know, there's just so many things that go into a daily day-to-day situation with your team that, you know, that impact your team's, dynamics and DNA and identity that people don't take into consideration, which, you know, I know it's just, it's just part of it. Sure. Do you, or did you, when you first got into it, you pattern yourself, pattern your style after anybody else, any other analysts, any other former coaches turned analysts, or are you just being Seth Greenberg and we're seeing the real you from the, from the very first. Kind of being myself, you know, I mean, I just, you know, well, it's hard to be someone else and, and come across genuine. Uh, so you know, just really, really being myself. That's, that's the most important thing. I mean, be true to your identity. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a little bitch. I'm a, I'm a straight talker. You know, yeah. I just, uh, I mean, that's, that's who I am. And, you know, I'm not a big sugar coder, but uh, I tell the truth. And, you know, what? even if I have to, you know, I have no agenda. Like, I, you know, well, you like that guy. You don't like, you know, yeah, you know, I, I John Calpar is one of my dearest friends. I mean, if his team doesn't play well, I'm going to say it. He's going to pick up the phone and say, you're right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Where it is. It's, it's uh, obviously worked for you coming up on 10 years now uh, with ESPN. How long do you plan on uh, continuing to do it? As long as they'll have me. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy doing it. I, you know, I've got, I've got this year and two more years after this left on this contract. So, you know, at least three more, hopefully, you know, I'm in great shape. I'm healthy. Uh, I think I can do it for a long time and do it in a way that people learn something. Well, I, I, as a, as a college basketball fan who never, never played, um, I was not big, but I sure was slow. So that kind of kept me away from being very good at playing and never coached other, other than at, uh, you know, basketball camps where everybody coaches. Um, I appreciate your, your knowledge. I've, I've been around the sport forever, but I appreciate your knowledge and your, and the way you explain it, the way you basically just talk on, uh, you know, the basic level. And it's easy. It's easy for somebody who really loves the sport. And I'm sure it's easy for somebody who doesn't know that much about it to understand what you're doing uh, or what you're saying. So I appreciate that style. Um, I always like to wrap up with two things. First of all, I'd like to give my guests a chance to talk about their family. So tell me about your family. Got a great family, three amazing daughters, uh, all older. One's an attorney. One works for AARP. One works, uh, you know, for USA Today. Two married, one grandchild and uh, and a wife that's put up with me for a long time. Uh, my wife has been a been pretty tremendous, you know, dealing with a coach's family. And we're seeing this with Mark Turgeon, what he went through. And yeah, unfortunately. But there's so much, so much pressure on, on coaches' families. And, uh, and yet, the, you know, game's going on, and they're, in a lot of ways, some people are watching how they react as much as what happens in the game. And, uh, you know, you hear things when you're sitting in the stands that probably, you know, at times aren't, aren't the most pleasant. And, uh, yeah. unfortunately, people are not, you know, put to human and human being. But, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of sad. It's sad commentary on our, on our society in a lot of ways. And I look at what Turge and his family have gone through, and, the guy was 82 and 50 in the big 10, won a big 10 championship, went to the sweet 16. And, you know, you would think that, you know, he was over a hundred. Yeah. You know, nothing terrible away from, away from the game. So I've got a great family, uh, really, really supportive. Uh, kind of gone, you know, rolled with the punches. You know, we moved from. So how old is your grandchild? She's a year, a year old. So you know, we, we started in Miami and ended up in Avon, Connecticut Made a bunch of stops in between, but life is good. Um, is, is your granddaughter uh, close by? No, she's in Virginia. Virginia, okay. Um, my, I've got three, uh, three granddaughters. The oldest is six, and then three and a half, and a two and a half month old. And uh, you can be having the worst day imaginable, and that one of those little girls runs in the front door, "Grandpa, I'm here," and your day is perfect. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you're enjoying the, 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 you know, the limited time that you're able to, uh, to see her last question. I always like to wrap up with is this, and you can interpret the question however you want, answer it however you want. But I like to ask people, what is your legacy? My legacy is someone that tried to work really hard to, you know, impact other people's lives in a positive way. I mean, really what it comes down to, I mean, uh, that's why I got into coaching. Uh, and, you know, this past week's been a rough week because we lost uh, one of our former players at Long Beach State, uh, had a kidney transplant, and it took, and then he passed two nights ago, and, uh, you know, I mean, that that group of players who played for me in that time, uh, we all on this 
group text, and uh, it's been a it's been a pr pretty tough couple of days. But uh, you know, you hope your legacy has nothing to do with beating four number one teams or you know transitioning you know Virginia Tech into the ACC. You, you'd hope it's your family uh, and uh, and the people that you hopefully had you know a positive impact on. All right. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, carving out a little bit of time for us today. Give my friend Jay a, a hello for me. And uh, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, baby. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.